RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Ted Hoy joins a growing list of pro-democracy lawmakers arrested over a chaotic LegCo meeting in May. A health expert warns that staycationists could become COVID super spreaders and a survey suggests almost a quarter of local retailers are planning layoffs in December. Legislator Ted Hoy says he's been arrested and charged over chaos at a meeting in LegCo in May. He's the eighth pan-democrat to be charged over the incident and they're all due in court on Thursday, as Timmy Sung reports. Tato said he was arrested as he reported to Western Police Station over a separate case. The lawmaker and seven others from the pro-democracy camp are accused of contempt of LegCo and violating the Powers and Privileges Ordinance by obstructing LegCo officials in relation to a rowdy House committee meeting on May 8. Mr. Hoy says the force's action is absurd and ridiculous. It signifies, it's a symbol that Hong Kong has become a complete police state. The two rival camps in the legislature fought for control of the meeting to elect a chairperson. Scuffles also broke out. Several pandemics were ejected by security guards and people powers Ray Chen went to hospital after being dragged to the ground by pro-Beijing lawmaker Kwok Wai Kung. On Sunday, police also laid charges against Mr Chen, Mr Chu, Helena Wong, Wu Chi-wai, Andrew Wang, Fernando Zheng and Labour Party Chairman Stephen Kwok, who had been in the public gallery during all the commotion. No members of the pro-Beijing camp have been arrested over the chaos. Executive Councillor and Senior Counsel Ronnie Tong says the Powers and Privileges Ordinance protects lawmakers from legal liability over what they say, not what they do. The Court of Appeal was of the opinion that the purpose of the legislature was to ensure the independence of LegCon and to ensure that its proceedings would be protected and would not be disrupted or interfered with by anyone. And the Court of Appeal has made it clear that there is no immunity as far as legislators are concerned. The Centre for Health Protection reported six new COVID-19 infections today, including three infections linked to a group of people who went on a so-called staycation at a hotel in Muiwo. Health Secretary Sophia Chan has warned that social distancing rules could be tightened if people flout the measures. And a specialist in respiratory medicine, Dr Leung Chi Chu, says it's really not a good idea for large groups of people to get together for so-called staycations. If they have a very extensive social connection and engage a lot of social activity with too many potential cause transmission links, all this gathering uh, inside the hotel may greatly increase the risk of not only cause transmission within people attending all these vacation functions, but that may also pose a danger to the hotel staff. And if there is an outbreak inside the hotel, that may affect other customers, other situations, and that may cause a super-spreading event, and we need to take care. A new survey released on Monday suggests that almost a quarter of local retailers are planning layoffs in December after government subsidies expire at the end of this month, even though the government is painting a rosier picture. Candace Wong reports. The Hong Kong Retail Management Association surveyed members who employed 48,000 staff members at 2,400 outlets and found that 23% are planning to lay off staff in December to cut costs. 
Association Chairwoman Annie Yao Che says this coincides with the end of wage subsidies under the government's Employment Subsidy Scheme, or ESS. This is not a very good sign. Because of the end of ESS, retailers are getting less help. Not talking about uh, landlord, but uh, even the help from governments that we are not getting any help from anybody. She said local retailers aren't optimistic about the prospects of a turnaround in the coming peak sales season. But the government struck a more optimistic note as it unveiled new data showing that retail sales in Hong Kong declined for the 20th straight month. The value of sales fell 12.9% year-on-year in September, easing slightly from a 13.1% reduction in August. But a government spokesman noted that this is an improvement, and with the local epidemic situation stabilizing and social distancing measures being scaled back, local consumption sentiment is likely to revive further. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. Police have refused to allow a demonstration this week by Cathay Pacific staff who are worried about the new contracts they've been asked to sign. The police cited social distancing rules and an injunction order banning the disruption of normal airport operations, which has been in place since the anti-government protests last year. With the deadline for signing the contract set to expire on Wednesday, organisers say there isn't time to appeal the ban. Meanwhile, the General Secretary of the Aircrew Officers Association, Chris Beebe, says he hopes management will agree to extend the deadline. Well, there are people flying still. Cathay is operating. There are pilots and flight attendants who are out there uh, operating away from Hong Kong for several days, not having the ability to have a uh, discussion with their families and making this decision. So that's uh, it's an unrealistic, unrealistic uh, timeline that we've been dealing with. But uh, certainly to extend the deadline would uh, allow for that, and that's a reasonable way to do things. Customs officers say they've made the largest ever seizure of crystal methamphetamine, also known as ICE, with a haul worth almost 300 million Hong Kong dollars. Priscilla Ng has the details. Some 500 kilograms of the drug was found in a shipping container that contained cement powder. Officers said they were suspicious because the shipment came to Hong Kong via a complicated route, beginning its journey in Mexico and stopping in South Korea and Vietnam before arriving in the SAR. Benson Lee, Customs Head of Ports and Maritime Command, added that the container was only a third full, with goods that weren't expensive. Companies usually fill a container to boost cost efficiency, Lee explained. He said there were about 1,170 bags of cement powder, and the drugs were concealed in 250 of them. This is a heavy object, and for our custom officer, uh, when we conduct the custom examination, we have to remove the cargo from inside the container for our X-ray checking and also our open examination. So this will increase our difficulties. Authorities added that the container was bound for Australia, where the value of ice is much higher than in Hong Kong. No arrests have been made so far. Chief Justice Jeffrey Ma has underlined the court's independence in the SAR during an event to promote the SAR as a legal hub. Speaking at the opening of Legal Week, the SAR's top judge e- emphasised the judiciary's independence and stressing that politics doesn't enter into it. It is crucial to understand that this concept, the independence of the judiciary, is not related to politics. It is instead the guiding concept that underlines the way judges discharge their constitutional responsibilities. The constitutional arrangement is that the judiciary 
is one of the three branches of government. Its role and responsibilities are clearly and unambiguously set out in the basic law. The judiciary has the duty to exercise judicial power. This means the duty to adjudicate on the law and on legal disputes, whether civil or criminal in nature. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, told the same event that it was sad to see attacks on some judicial officials over the past year and such behaviour should not be tolerated. The CE says the respect for and public perception of the rule of law has been undermined in last year's protests and urged the public to respect court rulings. Needless to say, the violent protests during the social unrest last year has, un has undermined respect for and public perception of the rule of law and exposed the shortcomings in our regime with regard to safeguarding national security. It is sad to see that during the year, such unjustified attacks have also been mounted against our judicial officers. This is not to be tolerated. DAB lawmaker Elizabeth Quatt says she'll be introducing a private member's bill to the Legislative Council in a bid to give local authorities more power to clamp down on the illegal wildlife trade. NGOs and experts say the current laws aren't adequate to address the problem and wants to incorporate wildlife offences into the organised and serious crime ordinance. Ms Quatt concedes that this will be difficult to do unless the government takes their proposals on board. Maybe we might not be able to get it done within this year, but at least we kick it off. And if the government pick it up, the security bureau pick it up, become a, a government bill, it will be much faster. Even if we cannot complete it within this year, hopefully the amendment can be done within the next terms. Law professor Amanda Whitford from the University of Hong Kong has been pushing for the legal changes. She explains that the current laws don't have enough teeth to allow investigators to go after the higher-ups who are involved in alleged wildlife smuggling. It would allow the investigators to compel persons of interest to answer questions about the flows of money or the beneficiaries behind companies or the persons who are involved in the shipping container hiring in order for the investigators to be able to look internationally at where these things are coming from and therefore trace the money and prosecute the people who are much higher up the chain than just the mules at the bottom. Video footage and pictures that appear to show a man in Changxi province beating his wife to death as onlookers stood by and did nothing have sparked outrage on the mainland, raising new questions about domestic violence. Vicky Wong has details. State media say the violence erupted after the married couple accidentally hit a vehicle while driving an electric scooter in Shuozhou City. Police say the woman was killed in the attack on Saturday morning and they have a suspect in custody. In the footage shared millions of times online, cyclists, motorists and pedestrians, including children, can be seen watching the killing. Media posts about the incident have drawn tens of thousands of comments, with most criticising the inaction of the bystanders and the lax attitude towards domestic violence in some sectors of mainland society. The mainland only introduced a specific law criminalising domestic violence in 2015 and activists say violence within families is often ignored. At the time the law was passed, the government-run All-China Women's Federation estimated that about one in four Chinese women experienced violence during their marriage. The outrage sparked by the Shuozhou attack is also reminiscent of a 2011 incident also caught on video when a toddler in Foshan was struck by a vehicle twice and ignored by dozens of passers-by. 
It's the final day of campaigning in one of America's most polarized presidential elections ever. Having visited five states the previous day, President Trump will hold rallies in four swing states today, while his challenger Joe Biden visits two. Surveys put Mr Biden in the lead. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue has been following events from Washington. In terms of their messages, Donald Trump seems to be doubling down on his coronavirus message, that it's all an exaggeration, that no one will talk about it after November the 4th if he loses. As for Joe Biden, he will be talking about the virus and the mishandling of it as he sees it by the president. And he will continue, I think, to focus on the issues of character, which he's done throughout, and really saying, do you want to give this man four more years? More European countries are tightening their coronavirus restrictions as they grapple with sharply rising infections. In Italy, the Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte has proposed bringing in a new restriction. From Rome, the BBC's Bethany Bell reports. Mr Conte warned that intensive care units could be overwhelmed in 15 of Italy's 20 regions by next month unless action was taken. He proposed curbs on travel to high-risk areas and an earlier nighttime curfew. Under the plans, museums and exhibitions would shut and shopping centres would close at weekends. Mr Conte said he was aware of the anger and the impact these measures would have on the economy, but he stressed that lives needed to be saved. In sport, the Hong Kong swimmer Siobhan Hohe has enjoyed another record-breaking day at the International Swimming League in Budapest. The 23-year-old broke her own Asian and Hong Kong record in the 100-metre freestyle. Adam Chung reports. Siobhan Hohe has achieved the sixth fastest time of all time in the women's 100-meter freestyle. Competing for the French team Energy Standard in round six of the ISL, Hohe led off the 4x100 women's freestyle relay with a time of 51.14 seconds. That's 24 tenths of a second faster than her own Asian and Hong Kong record set in round one of the ISL last month. The result lifted her three places up the all-time list into sixth best. Her team also won the relay. Hohe also competed in the women's 400-meter freestyle. She led from start to finish with a winning time of 3 minutes 58.75, just 17 tenths of a second short of her own Hong Kong record. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. Ted Hoy joins a crowing list of pro-democracy lawmakers arrested over a chaotic LegCo meeting in May. A health expert warns that staycationers could become COVID superspreaders. And a survey suggests that almost a quarter of local retailers are planning layoffs in December. The news from RTHK. John Kennedy from our newsroom. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. Executive Councillor and Barrister Ronnie Tong has rejected suggestions that lawmakers cannot be prosecuted for their actions in the legislature amid claims by government critics that LegCo's powers and privileges ordinance is being used against them. Nine pro-democracy lawmakers have been arrested and charged over chaos at a meeting in LegCo in May. Mr Tong says a court of appeal ruling clearly states that the ordinance protects the speech of lawmakers, not their actions. He told Francis Sitt that LegCo is not an independent kingdom and the police can deal with matters that the LegCo president can't handle. The Court of Appeal was of the opinion that the purpose of the legislature was to ensure the independence of LegCo 
and to ensure that its proceedings would be protected and would not be disrupted or interfered with by anyone. And that is why when you look at the statute itself, it did say that no one should commit such an offence. By comparison, some other provisions in the statute did expressly say in relation to certain conduct, the provision in question did not apply to legislator or officer of LegCo. Therefore, when it comes to Section 17 and Section 19, the legislature clearly had intended that legislators should be included in the restriction and should they were to offend the provision in question, they would be liable to prosecution. And the Court of Appeal has made it clear in the Leung Kwa Kong case that there is no immunity as far as legislators are concerned. When it comes to questions on why pro-government lawmakers are not prosecuted for also leaving their seats and also getting involved in the scuffles, can you tell us a little bit about why do you think it's reasonable that the police didn't take any action against pro-government lawmakers? Well, it's a matter of basic principle. Because we're talking about a matter of criminal offence, as a matter of common law principles, you must also prove an intent to offend the provision in question. If somebody set out to disrupt the proceedings, the prosecution must prove that there is criminal intent. On the other hand, if somebody were there to prevent disruption of the proceedings, you cannot possibly, therefore, charge them for disrupting proceedings of a LegCo. If there are legislators who, on that particular occasion, also rushed out to try to prevent other legislators interrupting the proceedings of LegCo, you cannot also prosecute those who were there trying to prevent the commission of an offence. At the end of the day, you must look at the intent of each individual and try to decide if that person was intent to disrupt proceedings or was it merely trying to prevent disruption of the proceedings. Police have refused to allow a demonstration this week by Cathay Pacific staff who are worried about the new contracts they're being asked to sign. With the deadline for signing the contracts looming, the organisers say there isn't time to appeal against the ban. Timmy Song reports. Cafe Pacific has offered new contracts with substantial pay and benefits cuts to staff who escaped the mass laid-offs last month. Employees have been given until the end of Wednesday to sign the new contracts or they will be fired. The Aircrew Officers Association's General Secretary Chris Beebe told RTHK's Money Talk program that he hopes management will agree to extend the deadline. Well, there are people flying still. Cathay is operating. There are pilots and flight attendants who are out there uh, operating away from Hong Kong for several days, not having the ability to have a uh, discussion with their families and making this decision. So that's uh, it's an unrealistic, unrealistic uh, timeline that we've been dealing with. But uh, certainly to extend the deadline would uh, allow for that, and that's a reasonable way to do things. Mr. Beebe also said the conditions in the contracts are going to be permanent and CAFE should respect its staff. CAFE Pacific will recover. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But the employees do not have any uh, really access to recovering. I mean, there are core values that every corporation should have, including respect and integrity. And, uh, and I, would, I would ask, are they respecting uh, their staff by excluding them and disenfranchising them? The Cafe Pacific Airways Flight Attendance Union had applied to hold a public assembly on Wednesday, either at the entrance of Cafe Pacific City or an area outside Tongchong MTR station. 
but the police have now banned such a demonstration, citing social distancing rules and an injunction order banning the disruption of normal airport operations, which has been in place since the anti-government protests last year. The union said it would not appeal against the ban due to the limited time available before the contract's deadline, and it would arrange other events to voice members' concern. Another union meeting would also be held on Tuesday over the contract issue, it said. Civic Party lawmaker and pilot Jeremy Tam criticised the police's decision, noting that the proposed sites for the rally are far away from the airport. He said it is unreasonable that the authorities keep using the pandemic to restrict public gatherings. At least 16 people are dead and thousands of homes are feared damaged or destroyed in the Philippines after the strongest typhoon of the year so far barreled through the country's south. Typhoon Goni made landfall on Catanduanes Island yesterday as a super typhoon, but it's now been downgraded to a tropical storm. RTHK correspondent Alan Robles spoke to Anna Marie Evans from the capital, Manila. We're discovering that Typhoon Guani trashed the island province of Catanduanes, southeast of the main island of Luzon. I mean, it brought destructive winds and heavy rains, and they caused mudslides, floods, and storm surges. And officials were describing storm surges of up to five meters. So many buildings were outright obliterated, and the ports are badly damaged and unusable. So they have to use air to support the town, the towns. And the island is right now out of communications, I, I think, all its networks are knocked down. Catanduanes is part of the Bicol region on the mainland, and when after entering Catanduanes, the typhoon swept into the mainland, and the provinces of that region also felt the storm's fury. Indeed. So uh, as we can expect, do you think, that for the death toll to rise? Yes. Uh, right now, it's... Uh, because of the lack of communications, the figures mm -hmm. are slow in coming in, and, but they're bound to rise in the next few days, and also the figures from the other provinces as well. Now, uh, Goni, which was locally called Rolly, is the strongest typhoon to hit the country this year so far. It was described as a super typhoon worse than Haiyan, which killed thousands in 2013, so people feared the worst. And in Manila, everybody was predicting apocalypse because it lay directly in the storm's path. So how come Manila was spared? Well, police were deployed with rescue equipment and the city's notorious giant billboards were furled to prevent winds from blowing them down. But at the last minute, the storm both weakened and veered direction. And by the time it got here, it was hardly more than just a few strong gusts of wind. And uh, it knocked down power in some areas of the metropolis, but that was about it. However, Luzon, the main island, is densely populated, so even a weak typhoon, yes. wherever it goes, will bring misery. So it's affected, I don't know what the officials say, up to 12 million people all across the large island. Now, of course, I mean, you know, Philippines has got a double problem that it's not only the super typhoon, but also, you know, various areas are also locked down due to COVID. That's absolutely correct. And so this casualty, this is like we need this, like we need a hole in the head. People are already, already suffering from quarantine. The economy is down. The figures of the number of infections are not going down. The number of deaths might be stabilizing or they might be slightly increasing. We don't know. The figures aren't clear there either. So this thing, this typhoon, is really something like the, the icing on an evil cake. Yeah. Uh, the people are asking, where is the president? People didn't hear from Duterte 
the entire time the typhoon was bashing Catanduanes, he apparently was resting in his home city in Davao. The thing is, the Bicol region is where the Vice President Lenny Robredo comes from, and she's a staunch critic and opponent and estranged from Duterte. So people are seeing something there, or they're, they're accusing the government of doing something there. Yeah, indeed, because, I mean, you, you know, um, you're going to need some emergency, as you say, uh, particularly on this uh, island that, that has been so badly affected. You're going to need some real emergency care there. I mean, shelters. Um, but it's interesting also to see the number of gyms and airport areas that were, as you say, changed into emergency um, shelters, but pro probably weren't needed initially. Um, but uh, this particular island, as you say, is currently cut off. But is it going to need, do you think, I mean, it is how housing being flattened there? Yeah, well, the, the faint silver lining in all this is that the casualties weren't as high as expected. Mm. Haiyan easily uh, killed 6,000, maybe 10,000 people, and now you're here, we're talking about 16 people. It's still a tragedy, but it's nowhere near those figures. That's true. It's conceivable that Filipinos took proper precautions and evacuated the areas that were affected. We won't know until the figures come in, but they're still really low for a super typhoon at this point. It's four days since a major earthquake in the Aegean Sea caused devastation in the Turkish coastal town of Izmir. A major search and rescue operation is still underway, with rescuers hoping to save people trapped under collapsed buildings. Erdil Tanner's 24-year-old sister Azle was working at a dentist's on the bottom floor of one of the apartment blocks that's collapsed. He's been waiting there since Friday afternoon. I know she's prayed to for me, for my mom, for my dad, boyfriend, a lot of people. My sister's friend every time called me on Instagram, on phone. We are just waiting. I need to pray because I have a hope we have a chance. The BBC's Ola Guerin reports from the scene. There are probably at least a hundred rescue in front of me. They're standing on the rubble, which is about two stories high. Uh, very heavy equipment has been used to lift away chunks of concrete uh, and there's still a great deal of digging taking place including some searching going on still by hand now just to the left of me sitting on plastic chairs there are a cluster of relatives who have their eyes fixed on the scene in front of them and you can only imagine the anguish for them still hoping that their loved ones might be brought out alive but overnight there have been two more extraordinary rescues one was a 14-year-old girl uh, called Idil, who was brought out. Her sister is still under the rubble. And then in the later hours this morning, a three-year-old girl called Elif Perinchek. Now, it was a particularly incredible moment, a great deal of emotion at the scene. Rescue workers in tears, journalists in tears. She had been under the rubble 65 hours and she is the fourth child of a family of four children. Now, the mother and three of the children were initially pulled out of the rubble within the first day after the earthquake. One of the children subsequently died, but this morning, Ella, the fourth child, was brought out alive. She's injured. She is being treated in hospital. We're not sure about her condition is, but she was brought out alive, and she was the 106th person to be recovered by the rescue teams here since that massive quake on Friday afternoon.
and we know this morning that searches are still going on at eight different sites uh, around the city of Izmir where buildings collapsed. In the race for a vaccine against COVID-19, a new study shows that rich countries are already engaged in a shopping spree that could mean few vaccinations for billions of people in low-income countries. The analysis released by the Duke Global Health Innovation Centre says richer countries have already purchased nearly 3.8 billion doses with options for another 5 billion. Dr Krishna Uriyakuma, founding director of the centre, spoke to the BBC's Lawrence Pollard. What we're seeing now is a huge uptick in the amount of purchases that are being made entirely before any vaccine has been even approved. The majority is purchased bilaterally by high-income countries at the same time that we're hearing about more than 180 countries coming together around an equitable distribution. So we are seeing some challenges in how that equitable distribution is going to occur. Is this unusual? I mean, if you compare it to other forms of purchasing, I suppose it is an exceptional moment. Is this largely what you would expect following the patterns of how the pharmaceutical industry and governments usually work? We are starting to see the unusual aspect, which is the pace at which innovation is happening. We will, I think, confidently be able to say that we have developed a relatively effective vaccine in the coming months at a pace that's unprecedented in history. There are some potential advantages of having this much money flood in this quickly, including through bilateral agreements. For example, manufacturing capacity may be increased beyond what would be feasible otherwise, so we could all get access to vaccines more quickly. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, always keep hands clean and wash hands for at least 20 seconds. Put the lid down before flushing. Add water to U-traps regularly. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask and seek medical advice promptly if unwell. Fully cover your nose, mouth and chin with a mask. Visit chp.gov.hk to learn more. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Absolutely, moments to remember. That's the theme of this show, Nostalgia, from now until 1 a.m., with Ray Cordero, all the way. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Claire DeLuan, Mantovani.
of that famous, all-time favorite, Claire de Lune, played by Mantovani. Mm-hmm. 